0: In the Navy, they're taught the best way to fight a storm or hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? All right. Hope to keep that up. So I want you to notice something real quick. I'm not one for embarrassing people, but I want you to notice something about my sermon. What do you notice? It's typed, right? Beautifully typed. Okay, so I'm not really one to embarrass people, but, but my high school typing teacher is in the room today, and uh, I give her all the credit for my typing prowess. If you've been around here forever, Ruth Ann Marion, Ruth Ann Maynard now is here, and so uh, thank you. Thank you for this. Um, I'm sure we wreaked havoc in your typing class, and I promise you this. Okay, so I took typing, I think, as a junior. I promise you, in 1986 slash 1987, Ruth Ann Marion never believed she would be in church listening to me preach a sermon. She would have just been happy if I was in church. Okay? So, hope she makes it. All right, so anyway. So, today, uh, we are on the second week of our series, Anchored in Red. This is actually the second time we've done a series, Anchored in Red. If you remember, we started off the year in the Gospel of John doing this Anchored in Red series. And then, as we led up to Easter, we looked through like the last seven or eight chapters of the Gospel of John, and the last time Pastor Rob was going away to plan sermons, he's like, hey, do you have any ideas? I says, well, you know, the only thing we're missing is the middle of John, okay? Like, we've already done the beginning of John. We've already done the end of John. I said, what if we do the middle of John? He thought that was such a great idea that he planned it and left town for me to do the preaching. (laughs) So, anyway, I love the Gospel of John, and it's not just because it's my name, Okay, it's not because it's my name, but I just love the stories and the accounts that we find in the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is filled with people that are experiencing Jesus and putting their faith in him. All right, and and this is the whole reason, like the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John so that you and I later on could read the stories and put our faith in Jesus. The reason I know that's true is because that's what he says. In John chapter 20, excuse me, verse 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote this down so that you and I could experience Jesus and put our faith in him. And so as you read through it, as you read through the gospel, that's exactly what you see. You see people experiencing Jesus and putting their faith in him, but you also see people experiencing Jesus and not putting their faith in him, which seems ridiculous to me, but they did it. They experienced Jesus in the flesh, and they still didn't trust him, still didn't believe in him. One other thing that I want to mention before we get into the meat of the sermon today is this. You know, if you're like me, uh, sometimes you read your Bible and you have no idea what it's saying, okay? Or sometimes you read your Bible, and you're like, man, I don't understand this, okay? And I I was thinking about it today. I've been going to Christian, I went to Christian schools from the time I was in fifth grade, okay? So that was a long time ago, all right? So I've even been in Bible classes or in church for a long time, and you know what? There's still passages of Scripture where I read them, and I go, oh, I don't know. I'm not really sure what that's saying, I'm not really sure what that's about, you know? And so I just have accepted the fact that there are some things I'm like, you know what, I have questions and I am not gonna get answers to those questions on this side of heaven, all right? I don't really enjoy those passages. But the passages that we're looking at in this series are are passages that are very easy to understand, okay? And one of the things that makes me feel better sometimes is when you read through the gospels, you realize the disciples didn't always understand what Jesus was saying. Like that should make us feel a little bit better, Okay, when his own disciples were like, what? All right, but, but in this series, we're looking at passages that are easy to understand. Even if you go back previous chapters, like we're not covering this one, we already looked at this one earlier in the year, but in John chapter six, Jesus says he's the bread of life. Okay, we can understand the idea of Jesus being the bread of life. Everyone in this room at some point has been hungry. Okay, you wanted something to, to fill that hunger and the idea that Jesus is the bread of life. So not only does you want to take care of our physical needs, but spiritually we are hungry and he wants to fill those needs. That's something we can understand. Last week, as Pastor Greg was sharing out of chapter 7. Last week out of chapter 7, Pastor Greg talked about Jesus talking about how he is the living water. And he's offering that living water to the person that he's talking to. We can understand that, right? Not only have we been hungry, John chapter 6, but we've all been thirsty. And so we can understand this idea of living water because we've all experienced this idea of thirst. And we all have a spiritual thirst going on in our lives. And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 8 and what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 8. But before we get there, I I want to draw your attention to a passage actually in the book of Exodus, all right? The book of Exodus is about the Exodus, okay? It's about the Exodus of Israel from Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 20, it says this, it says, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its presence in front of the people. Like, I don't know about you, have you ever wondered what God wanted you to do? Have you ever wondered where God wanted you to go? Okay, this passage, envy and jealousy is wrong, okay? Those are wrong. But this passage might make us a little bit envious or make us a little jealous because as the Israelites are leaving, and I'm assuming they have some apprehension. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. They've been in Egypt for 430 years and now they're leaving. And God says, don't worry, I got you guys. Just follow me. You see, during the day, there's going to be a pillar of cloud. Just follow that cloud. That's me leading you. There's going to be a pillar of fire at night. Just follow that. So so that's what they did. If the cloud or the fire went straight, they went straight. If it went left, they went left. They went right. they went right, if it stopped, they stopped. Okay? That's what, you know, something that, that happened in Exodus. And the Israelites didn't forget that. That's something that they celebrated and they would remember. And so last week at the beginning of a sermon, Pastor Greg talked about the Feast of Tabernacles which is a time to remember what God had done for them. And specifically, remembering this idea that God had led them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and they were remembering and celebrating that. And so as they were celebrating that, in the temple in Jerusalem, they would celebrate something they called the illumination of the temple. And I could only imagine how awesome this must have been. But in the temple, they had these four uh, golden oil lamps, They were on poles. And what I read is it said that these poles went 75 feet up in the air. So they were up there. Okay, And at this feast, at this celebration, the illumination of the temple, they would light those lamps to remember and to celebrate what God had done. And it was said that when those lamps were lit, you could see them in all of Jerusalem. Now, we live in a world where there's light everywhere, Right? Like, there's streetlights everywhere, there's lights in our house, like, we're, we're blinded by light at this point. But imagine in a world where everything wasn't lit up at night, how incredible it must have been to see these four lamps lit up at night, lighting up the sky of Jerusalem. Several things that I read said that when those lamps were lit, there wasn't anywhere you could go in Jerusalem and not see those lamps being lit. And so it's in the context of that where Jesus is standing in the temple. He's standing in that same area right after the Feast of the Tabernacles. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke to them, or when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He's saying this right on the, right on the backdrop Of this illumination of the temple and those lamps being lit. And he's standing in that same spot, in that same area, saying, you know what? I'm not just the light of Jerusalem. I'm not just the light of Judea. But I am the light of the world. And and so, knowing, I've had a while to think about this sermon. okay, Knowing that I was going to preach on this sermon, I was thinking about light. All right, now you guys are in trouble next week. I've spent no time thinking about next week's sermon. All right, but I had a lot of weeks to think about this one. And so I was thinking about light. And I was thinking about, like, why is light so important? And these are some answers that other people came up with. These are not my own. I am no scientist. It says, light's responsible for all of life, for the production of the air that we breathe, the cycles of our oceans the magnetic fields around our planet, gravity, warmth, and our weather. Light's a primary tool for perceiving the world, and interacting with its many organisms. Light from the sun warms the earth, drives global weather patterns, and initiates a life-sustaining process of photosynthesis. Light is a source of all life on our planet. The importance of light could be comprehended as plants synthesize nutrients from light using chlorophyll and filter the air we breathe. Animals and humans depend on plants for survival. Therefore, everything depends on the light in some way. And so on a physical level... That is why light is important. But Jesus is talking about something a little bit more important than just life on the physical level. For us, Jesus being the light of the world is so important because the reality is we live in a fallen and dark world. Like, I, I don't feel like I really need to hammer this point home. Just turn on your news. Like, like there's, no, there's no good news, okay, on the news. It's all bad news. And so, if you turn on your news, if you read a... Well, nobody reads a newspaper. Anybody read a newspaper in the room? Thank you. The LA Times thanks you. Oops, the Daily News thanks you. So, uh, so anyway, like, there's just so much bad news. And the reality is we live in a fallen and a dark world. And things aren't getting any better. And so, we need to be reminded. I, I think of this like this battle between light and darkness. Like, it goes all throughout the Bible, this battle between light and darkness. It's also a key component of the Gospel of John. There's all kinds of stories of the Gospel of John where the difference between light and darkness has a a play in that story. And so I was thinking about verses that deal with this battle between light and darkness. And and these are just a few from the New Testament that I found. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, says this is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness. Isn't that a terrible statement? The idea that light is coming to the world, but people love darkness. Don't you see that being true every day around us? Instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that they that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. In Romans chapter thirteen, verses eleven and fourteen. It says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Wake up, everybody. Because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And a couple other shorter passages. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Are you thankful that God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness? And brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter 2, 9. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And lastly, First John 1, 6. says, if we claimed out fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. See, the Bible is constantly talking about this battle between light and dark. And so what does that mean? That, what does Jesus do for us as the light of the world? Like, what does that mean? And, and I was thinking, I thought of a lot of different things that that meant, but I, I just chose three to mention today. Like, why is it significant that, that Jesus is the light of the world? And this isn't, like I said, an exhaustive list, but I want us to think about this. Jesus as a light. He does three things. Number one, he exposes us. Secondly, he guides us. And lastly, he sustains us okay? So light exposes the truth about things. We may not like this one, okay? Like some things, you see them in the dark, they look good. The light gets turned on, not so good, all right? And, and so light exposes the truth about things. Um, so recently I went to the store. This is not the one that I got, but, but I, I got change back, and I noticed that they gave me a, a wheat cent penny, all right? And I don't know why, I'm just one of those people, if I get something like that, I keep it and I put it aside, I don't leave it with the rest of my change. And so I had gotten home, I put it on my entertainment center, and I was like, oh, I'll look at it later to see, like, what, what year it is, okay? You know, because some of those pennies are, are, are worth more than a penny, okay? And, and so I, I grabbed it from the entertainment center, and I went to look at it, and I looked at it and couldn't read it. Matter of fact, I could barely tell it was a penny, all right? And so I was like, well, I need my glasses, all right? And and so I went to the couch, I sat down, I pulled out my glasses, I put my glasses on. I was like, whew, okay, how about some light? So I turned on the light. And next to the couch, we have this this lamp that has three light bulbs in it, all right? After turning on three light bulbs, I looked at it and said, yep, it's still a penny. (laughs) What I really needed was the magnifying glass, okay? I'm not sure what that says about my eyes. Maybe I need to go to the eye doctor again. But the reality is, light exposes us to the truth. Now, the reality is, when I turn on the light, I could tell. I think it said 1947, but don't hold me to that, okay? Uh, But that's what light does it shows us, it exposes us for what we are, for the good and the bad. If you remember last month in that series, They Walked with God, Pastor Rob preached a sermon uh, on Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 6, after coming into the presence of God, Isaiah said this, he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah came into the presence of God, and he realized just how sinful he was. Like, as he came into the presence of God, he, he, he realized just how flawed was. He truly was. And, and this may not be popular. This may not be something we like about Jesus being the light of the world. But the reality is the closer we draw to him, the more we see the areas that we need to work on. All right? The closer we draw to him, the closer and the more we're going to see all the things that we need to do differently. And the things that we need to change. And the reality is that's going to go on for the rest of our lives. Like there's never going to be a point where I've made it. There's never been a point where I'm going to go, okay, I'm good. I'm done changing. God is constantly trying to share with us the things that we need to see, that we need to change, that we need to work on, that we need to improve. And so if I'm preaching a sermon to you 20 years from now, that's still going to be true. There's still going to be things that the light of Jesus is exposing in my life that is showing me that I need to change. So we may not like that about Jesus being the light of the world, but it's a reality. So not only does Jesus expose us, but he also guides us. And this one's pretty easy to understand. The idea of the light of the world guiding us. You ever been in the dark and you had a flashlight that was guiding you? I was thinking about it like this. So every once in a while, when my house is dark, I might be walking through my house in the middle of the night, and as some of you might do as well, you might accidentally kick a table or kick the end of your bed, okay? And when that happens to me, I let out a shriek, ah! And you know what also always follows that? Laughter from my wife, Okay, I don't know what it is. You all think she's a nice and sweet person. But man, if I kick a table or I kick a chair or something like that, if I hurt myself in any way, she just thinks it's so funny. It's very hurtful. No, I'm okay. But the reality is, is that Jesus is like that light that is guiding us in the dark. Okay, And so the more that we spend time with Him, the more that we spend time in God's Word, the more we know how we are to live and what direction we are supposed to go. The more we spend time praying, the more we know what God wants us to do and where He wants us to go. And let me just say this. Man, if you don't spend any time in God's Word, and if you don't spend any time praying to Him, asking for His guidance, you have no shot at following along on the path that He wants you to lead on. Like, our nature is not, is not good, okay? And, and so if you don't spend any time in his word, if you don't spend time praying and, and seeking his will, you have no chance of walking down the path that he wants for you, nor do I. We can't do it. We need him to guide us. So he exposes us, he guides us, and lastly, the last thing I wanna mention about that is the idea that he sustains us. Okay, those things earlier that I read that scientists had wrote, talked about how without light, everything on the planet would be dead. The plants would die. All of us animals would die. We'd be dead. And so Jesus is the light of the world and he sustains us and he gives us life. A chapter that we already went through earlier uh, in the year, John chapter 15, compares Jesus and us. He says that he is the vine and we are the branches, all right? And so for us to be sustained, we have to stay connected to him, all right? If we get Taken away from him or torn off of him, we're gonna die. Does that make sense? Okay, so I was sitting on my couch last night, minding my own business. Um, Christina and I were—I don't know what we were watching. We were watching something on TV, and uh, our, our like blinds were open. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a massive branch fall off the tree in front of my house. Like it's a city tree, but they're gonna claim it's mine. Okay, so anyway, this massive branch fell off the tree. And, and luckily for us, it actually fell towards my house, and the only thing it did is it ripped my cable line down, okay? I know, I survived a whole night, Christine and I survived a whole night without cable or Wi-Fi, okay? And guess what? You can't stream things without Wi-Fi, all right? Took me a while to figure that one out, all right? But anyway, so this big old branch fell, and it, it looks good. It's nice and green as it's sitting in my front yard right now waiting for me to get a chainsaw out to cut it apart, okay? But the reality is it's dead, all right? It's dead because it's been separated from that tree, all right? And so Jesus wants to sustain us, and just like the vine and the branches, the tree and the tree branch at my house, if we're going to continue to thrive and to grow, we have to stay connected to him. So as a light of the world, he... He exposes us, he guides us, and he sustains us. But there's, there's one other thing I want us to notice about this chapter in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8 again. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13. Because, you know, different people respond to Jesus in different ways. And that was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. So in John chapter 8, verse 13, and, and what I'm reading might be a little different than the screen. I apologize, that's my fault. Uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 13, says, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And so Jesus explains, and spends the next couple of verses explaining why his testimony is valid. Okay, I'm going to side with Jesus on this one. But then go to verse 19. It says, then they asked him, where is your father? Because he'd been talking about his father. They didn't just come up with that one out of the blue. It says, you don't know, my, you don't know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Okay, Jesus is not trying to win friends here. He's not trying to, you know, be nice. He says, where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he, sent me, he who sent me is reliable. And what I've heard from him, I tell the world. They didn't understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so in this passage, what I want us to notice here is, you know what, as Jesus is speaking, there's really three different responses people had to his preaching. The first one, in the very first verse 13, it says the Pharisees challenged him. Some people right out of the gate just rejected what Jesus was saying okay? That's what most of those Pharisees were doing. They were just rejecting what Jesus had to say. The second response is, you know what, now there were some questions that I think were, I don't know, bad questions, but then there were some people that I think had legitimate questions of what Jesus was saying, okay? And sometimes we might be a little bit harsh, but the reality is, if I'm a first century Jew and I'm listening to Jesus speak, Jesus is nothing like the Messiah that we've been expecting, Jesus is nothing like the person that they thought was coming to be the Messiah. And so if I was listening to him, I would probably have some questions. I would probably have some things. I'm like, oh, but, but Jesus, what about this? But Jesus, what about that? Okay. And so there's a difference between challenging him in verse 13 and asking legitimate questions. And you know, that's important because you know what? God doesn't want us to be blind. He, it's okay to ask questions okay? It's okay to say, okay, I read this the other day. I don't understand it. What is it saying? Or this, wherever whatever I read, this seems really hard. Help me understand that. And so don't stop asking questions. Questions are okay. If you find yourself reading the Bible and you don't understand something, and you're like, man, I got questions, don't be afraid to ask, okay? You read your Bible, you don't understand something, you call me. You call the church office, they can put them through to me. And when I don't know the answer, I'll call somebody else, Okay? Because the worst thing we all can do as Christians and we don't know the answer is make something up. So if you don't know the answer, go to somebody else. Like I can't tell you how many years. So many of you, you're new these last couple of years, you don't even know who Pastor Kirby is. Okay, but Pastor Kirby here is 40 years. Even when I worked at a different church over in Northridge, if somebody asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, you know what I did? Yeah, Glenn, um, I've got a question. Can, can you help me out with this? Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Legitimate questions are fine. And so some people rejected Jesus. Some people questioned him. And then the last group of people, who, they're people who put their faith in him. And you know what? You and I have been called to be those people that put our faith in him. And not only do they put our faith in him, but that faith is supposed to lead to obedience. Okay, that faith that we put in Jesus, if we're following Jesus as the light of the world. Our response needs to be obedience. And so I want us to go back as I, as I begin to wrap up I want us to remember, you know, we live in a world that's deeply in need of a light. We live in a dark world where people are just separating more and more and it seems like some, a, lot, a lot of times things like things are falling apart. Now things aren't always as bad as they seem. But our world desperately needs Jesus. Isn't that true? Our world desperately needs Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all of the world's problems. Jesus is the answer to all the the things that are going on in our world. And you and I have been called to be like Jesus. And the reality is Jesus loved people. And he loved people, especially those who were unlovable by others. And Jesus loved them. And so we're called to love people. Jesus saw and helped the people that most of the other people around them ignored and just hoped would go away. Jesus stopped and helped those people. Jesus wasn't impressed by the things of this world, nor was he trying to accumulate the things of this world, and yet he stayed focused on what his mission was. You and I, we are not the light, but Jesus is the light. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, tells us that we are his ambassadors. You and I, we are Christ's ambassadors in this world. We are his representatives of the light in the world. So recently... Uh Christina and I were able to go away for a couple weeks on vacation, and we did a couple things that were really fun. Like we went to the Grand Canyon, okay? How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? How many of you have not been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, more of you in second service than first service. I had never been to the Grand Canyon. I'm 52 years old. I had never been to the Grand Canyon, and we had planned on going a couple years ago, and then some little event got in the way. And so we finally made it to the Grand Canyon. Let me tell you this about the Grand Canyon. I took a lot of pictures. My pictures cannot do justice to what the Grand Canyon is. I could sit and stare at that hole in the ground all day. Like some people would say that's all it is, a hole in the ground. I could sit there all day and look at it. It was so amazing, and, and we stayed in Williams, which is like 50 miles away, and it was just such a beautiful city, and so her and Christina and I, we went to dinner at night, and as we were walking uh, Route 66 in Williams, it just was beautiful, and they had benches everywhere. And so at one point after dinner, we just sat down on a bench and just enjoyed the beauty of God's creation. And I told you we were sitting on Route 66. And so I don't know why I did this, but I called Bill Regan while I was sitting on a bench on Route 66 in Williams, Arizona, because Bill loves Route 66. And so I was thinking of him. And so right there, as I'm sitting next to my wife in Williams, Arizona, beautiful night, I'm talking to Bill on the phone. All right. But it was just so beautiful. And as I was thinking about roots, I said, I thought of him. So not only did we do that, but we also were, were able to go on a cruise. And if you know me at all, you know that I love cruises, all right? I could spend all day, every day on a cruise ship. Just don't make me work there, okay? I could spend all day, every day as a passenger, all right? And so we went on a cruise to Mexico. It was wonderful. I don't even care about where you go. Just being on the ship makes me happy. And so I had a balcony room. It's kind of my only requirement. I have to have a balcony so I can just sit there and look at the ocean. And I was sitting there. Most nights I would go out and sit on on my balcony at night. And most of the nights it was cloudy. Most of the nights it was cloudy and you couldn't see anything. But a couple of times I was sitting on my balcony. I was just in the right spot where I could see the moon. And there's something beautiful about the moon when it's over the ocean. Okay. And, And so I was sitting there. And I was looking at the moon, and actually, I don't know what this says, but I, mean, I was thinking about this sermon. And I was thinking about this sermon because the reality is as beautiful as that moon was. The moon itself has no light. Without the sun, we wouldn't see the moon at all. Okay, when we see the light of the moon, well, I'm told—I'm not an expert in this area—I'm told what we're actually seeing is a reflection of the sunlight off the moon. Okay, someone can tell me later if I'm wrong. Okay, but don't tell me. Anyway. So I was sitting and I was thinking about that, that the idea that the moon is a reflection of the sun, and man, it was beautiful. And I was thinking about this sermon, because you and I are supposed to be just like that, aren't we? Aren't you? We are not the light. We are not the sun. We are not the saviors of the world, but we are to be a reflection of that light. We are to be a reflection of the Savior in our world around us. Like we are to be like the moon, reflecting the light of Jesus in our lives, and so I want you to think about this. In your life, do you reflect the light of the world? Do you reflect Jesus in your life? When you walk into a room, does the, does the room get lighter or does it get darker? Like when you go walking walk into a room, is it a better place because you, a follower of Christ, have, been, have walked into that room? When you go to work, is your workplace a better place because you are there? Are you reflecting the light of Jesus in your place of employment? When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gas station, do you reflect Jesus in your life? This one's tough for me. When you drive your car, do you reflect Jesus? I'm thankful for the tinting on my windows and that I keep my windows up. I have trouble in my car. But we're called to reflect Jesus. We're called, he's the light, we're not the light. But we're called to reflect him in every area and every place that we go. And I want to encourage you to think about that in your own life. Do you reflect the light of the world to the fallen and dark world around you? As I close, John 8, verse 12, one more time. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus being the bread of life. I thank you for Jesus being the living water. I thank you for Jesus being the light of the world. Lord, I pray for us. If we do nothing other than this today, I pray you would help us to remember that we are to be a reflection of you in our world and that you would help us to, to, to work at it, to try to be a better reflection of you so that people, when they see us, they would see you. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Remember, Lord, your tender mercies and your love that you've always shown. Oh,